0: Gaza was rarely hospitable to Jews. It was the place where the ancient Philistines resided, a warlike people that fought the Israelites for generations. The best known biblical interaction with Gaza is described in the book of Judges through the story of Samson and Delilah. Samson was portrayed in the Bible as having superhuman strength, he was the closest we had to a superman, the Greeks had Hercules and we had Samson. And he was a nemesis to the Philistines. When their leaders discovered that one of their own, Delilah, was living with Samson, they approached her, Ask him, they said, Bame what makes him strong? And so Delilah asked Samson, "Hagida na libe me, kochacha? Tell me, what makes you strong?" Three times she asked, and three times Samson lied to her. Eventually, frustrated by Delilah, Samson confided, "No razor has ever touched my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God." Since I was in my mother's womb, if my hair was cut, my strength would leave me, and I should be as weak as an ordinary man. Sensing that he had finally told her the truth, Delilah lulled Samson into sleep and summoned the Philistine leaders, who sheared his hair, gouged out his eyes, and imprisoned him in Gaza. Invincible Samson, as John Milton wrote, was eyeless in Gaza at the mill with the slaves. Bamekochecha, what makes us strong? The Talmud looks at the story of Samson and gives us one terse response. In a wordplay on Delilah's name, Delilah, in Hebrew which sounds like the word dalal to dilute to weaken the rabbis wrote dil et kocho she diluted his physical strength dil et libo she weakened his heart dil maasav, she diluted his deeds one she diluted his physical strength. Physical strength. Nations must be strong enough to protect their citizens. Whoever yearns for life, whoever strives for peace and decency, must be prepared to protect themselves, especially in the Middle East. Once Delilah sapped Samson's physical strength, Once he was as weak as any other man and could no longer protect himself, his fate was sealed. And along with him, the Israelite nation itself. Judaism hates war. We have never ceased teaching that war is the last resort. Our tradition insists that there will come a day of tranquility and peace when nations will know war no more, and all shall sit under vine and fig tree, and none shall be afraid. Overwhelmingly in Judaism, our heroes were scholars, teachers, philosophers, rabbis, people of intellect and compassion, not military figures. Ezehu Gibor, who is a hero, asked Rabbi Natan. Misho sesone o avo he who turns an enemy into a friend we taught that war constitutes the breakdown of the human spirit but we are not pacifists there are occasions and Judaism discusses these at great length where the refusal to use force is not only unwise, but immoral. For while in the sight of God my life is no more valuable than his life, the reverse is also true. His life is no more valuable than mine. And if he seeks to take my life, I have a moral duty to defend myself. As the sage Ecclesiastes wrote, Et Milchama veet shalom. There's a time for war and a time for peace. Sadly, tragically, this is a time for war. I wish with all my heart that it were not so. I wish that we had already arrived at the time of global peace, where the bow and the arrow are banished from our sight. The Hamas terrorist forces arrayed against Israel a mile away from its villages and towns. The medieval savagery. The pre-modern ISIS-like ideology. Their hatred of democracy, liberalism, freedom, equality, tolerance, coexistence, their persecution of women and LGBT community members, their disdain of secularism and their determination to destroy Israel and kill every Jew they can, renders negotiation an impossibility and imposed on Israel a war of no choice. They would have killed many thousands more Israelis had they not been stopped by the most heroic deeds of soldiers police, and ordinary citizens. They still intend to kill as many Jews as they can lay their hands on. As one of the spokesmen for Hamas said last week, October 7th was the first time. There will be a second, a third, and a fourth. Perhaps analysts are right that Hamas cannot be eliminated as an idea. That its toxin will always be present, but its military potency can be defanged, and its venom rendered less lethal. Supremacist ideas are also still with us, but Germany and Japan were pacified by military force. In our country, too, racist ideas are still present in our society. But slavery was demolished by, first by force of arms, and then by laws and mores, as Martin Luther King said. It may be true that a, a law cannot make a man love me. Religion and education will have to do that. But law can restrain him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important. I pray daily for the end of hostilities. All calls for ceasefires must take into account that the objective must be ensured. The elimination of Hamas's ability to threaten Israel militarily ever again. There was already a ceasefire in place on October 6th. Hamas broke the ceasefire the next day on October 7th. A ceasefire can be achieved tomorrow, in 12 hours, by the immediate release of 239 hostages and the unconditional surrender of Hamas terrorists. This is what peacemakers should be insisting upon. To all of our friends who, in the West who urge various pauses, you think you can pause for a moment? And remember to demand the release of Israeli and foreign hostages? Do you care about them? At all? Are they part of your humanitarian concerns? I can't stop thinking of them. And when I do, I try to suppress these thoughts because they are so painful to me. Where are they? Where are they now? Now, today, at this moment, what are they doing? Are they getting medication? Who's taking care of Kfir, the 10-month-old child? There's a three-year-old girl named Avigail in the Gaza dungeons. It's my daughter's name. Whenever I hear her name, whenever I think of Avigail, I can't, I can't bear it. Two, she weakened his heart. Israel will win this war. In the course of the battles, we must take care not to allow the weakening, the dilution of the Jewish heart. I found myself in the past month struggling with my own feelings. I'm still so shocked and traumatized. I'm still in such pain that I struggle to keep my heart healthy. I do not want to succumb to compassion fatigue, and I fight against moral complacency daily. Jews are described in our tradition as Rachmanim bnei merciful ones, the children of the merciful. Innocent people are suffering and dying in Gaza. We cannot harden our hearts to that suffering, even as we insist that the responsibility for their suffering is first and foremost on Hamas, who use their own people as human shields. The sages taught that when the angels on high sang songs of praise to God, for defeating Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea, God responded, Ma'asei yadai tovin bayam Vaatem omrim shirah My children are drowning in the sea? And you are singing songs of praise to me? We do not rejoice in the suffering of others or in the taking of life, especially innocent life, even if morally justified. Everyone has a family. Everyone mourns the death of loved ones. Most people want what most people want, a decent life, respect, dignity, to love and be loved. Each life is a world entirely unto itself, and every death is a tragedy, the destruction of an entire world. Israelis and Palestinians are destined to live side by side. Neither can go anywhere. I pray with all my heart that on the other side of this dark night, a new day will rise, a day of goodness and love for all of God's children. Three, she diluted his deeds. Don't allow your deeds to atrophy. This struggle involves you. It involves all of us. Get involved. Get active. Get on the bus to Washington next week. Join the protests in New York against hateful ideologies. Get active on social media. Counter intolerant ideas. Give money to worthy causes. Withhold money from unworthy causes, even those you may have supported in the past. Consider joining our Israel mission in March. How did it come to this? The sheer hatred exhibited by so many, this visceral rage that seems impenetrable to reason. In the academies of reason, the lack of compassion or even interest in how we are doing from those we previously thought of as friends and partners and allies in the struggle for justice. I think this sense of disappointment and aloneness, that age-old sense of Jewish aloneness, are among the heaviest feelings American Jews carry with them now. It's not that we are unaware of the age-old animosities towards Jews. We are well aware that anti-Semitism always existed and exists to this day. But we always related to it a little like death. We know it's ever-present and lurking, but somehow we convinced ourselves that it won't touch us. How did Jewish life on campus become unsafe for Jews? If we are to be completely honest with ourselves, It's been building for years. The blindfolds may have been lifted this past month, but we have allowed destructive and hateful ideas to sprout in the most elite American educational and cultural institutions for many years. The hatred, intolerance, and anti-Semitism we are experiencing did not materialize out of thin air on October seventh. It has been germinating for a long time, fed by extremist ideas, nourished by radical teachers, and tolerated by cowardly or morally compromised administrators. I'll say again what I've shared with you many times before. Ideologies that divide people by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. Philosophies that reduce all human conflict to oppressor and oppressed. Subjugation and freedom fighting. Racists and anti-racists. These are not liberal values. These are illiberal and dangerous ideas that threaten the future of our country and Western civilization, they constitute a form of self-loathing, a hatred of the very values that gave rise to liberty, equality, fraternity, egalitarianism, and the American dream. But first and foremost, these ideas threaten Jews. Because you can rest assured that Jews are always going to find themselves in the outcast group. The people who are on the wrong side of civilization. It's always the Jews first. The canaries in the mine. The ones crucified for the sins of others. All Jew hatred since the dawn of time has contended that Jews are others. And because they are not us and are unwilling to abandon their beliefs, they pose a mortal threat. In every historical epoch, Jew hatred associates Jews with that era's worst sins. In the past, we killed God. Today, we are the enemies of human rights. The Jews, represented by Israel, are the Western world's last outpost of white colonialism and oppression. Never mind that half of Israel's Jewish population is from the Middle East. Over half. They're not from European descent at all. Get rid of that darn Jewish state not ISIS, not Syria, not Hamas, not Al-Qaeda, not Iran. We see few protests or even concerns anywhere, and certainly no calls for their destruction. But rid the world of Israel, and all conflict will be resolved. It's not criticism of Israel that is the problem. No one I know conflates opposing Israeli policies with anti-Semitism. This is a straw man built up by others so that they can tear it down in righteous indignation. I and frankly most of the world's Jews criticize Israel all the time. Rather it is the denial of Israel to exist at all. Palestine free from the river to the sea. That's what they're chanting at Columbus Circle here. That is anti-Semitic. What other country in the world must constantly prove it has a right to exist? And how do you make peace with an opposing party that is not prepared to accept your existence? among the truly disappointing responses from university administrators as to why they didn't react at all or appropriately after October 7, was the implication from them that calling for Israel's destruction constitutes legitimate opposition to Israel. And to these, the smartest, most accomplished intellectuals in the world I ask, where do you personally draw the line between legitimate criticism of Israel and anti-Semitism? What do you personally believe as president of this university? And where does the institution draw the line? Even if you conclude that praising the murder and kidnapping of children, parents, grandparents, teenagers, and young adults at a rave concert falls within the boundaries of free speech. I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I don't know. I'm prepared to concede that this falls within the boundaries of free speech. Even if that's the case, do you have a response to those who rejoiced in human suffering on your campus, who consider a three-year-old a legitimate target? And some of whom are now threatening Jewish students on your campus? I'm sure that Israel will prevail in this war. And I pray that somehow, out of the rubble and the devastation, a better world will emerge. The Bible tells us that one day, while Samson was in the field, a full-grown lion came roaring at him. Samson tore the lion to shreds with his bare hands and left the carcass there to rot. A year later, he returned to that spot, and he noticed that inside the skeleton of the lion there was a swarm of bees that had produced honey. And Samson concluded, Me'az out of the strong, came something sweet. May something sweet emerge from this awful period – a victorious and more unified Israel, a stronger American Jewish community, coexistence with the Palestinian people, and a more peaceful and just world.